We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app it may be years before former illinois house speaker michael madigan goes to trial if he ever does but until the federal case is resolved, the legendary political power broker faces a 22-count indictment accusing him of racketeering and bribery charges. It's an extraordinary outcome for a most extraordinary politician. This weekend, we're going to talk with a man who's literally written the book on Mike Madigan's rise and fall. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest is Ray Long, who is many things. He's an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, but he's previously reported for the Associated Press, the Chicago Sun-Times, and the Peoria Journal-Star, among others. But in the midst of all his reporting, he's also managed to put together a book on someone he was covering when I first met him more than three decades ago. Ray Long is the author of the book, The House That Madigan Built, The Record Run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer. It's a clear-eyed, fascinating look at a politician like few of us has ever seen. Uh, believe me, in this half hour, we can only scratch the surface of who Michael Madigan is and what made him so powerful. We are conducting this interview via Zoom, and Ray Long, welcome, and it's great to see you again. Great to be here, Craig. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you. Uh, we should establish that you've had the full ride with uh, Speaker Madigan. Uh, you started when he took the chair, right? Right. Uh, he was legis He was the legislative leader for the first time when I started in 1981. And at that time, he was minority leader, Madigan, and George Ryan was the speaker. So he spent two years with that. And then the next term, he rose to speaker. Hmm. Now, he was a product of the Chicago machine. Uh, presumably, that shaped him. And can you talk a little bit about that and how he developed his own spin? Sure. He, he you're absolutely right. He uh, is a disciple of Richard J. Daly, the first mayor Daly, and his dad and Richard J. Daly actually worked in county government together, and they uh, became friends. And as it turned out over the years. Uh, when Richard J. Daly ascended to mayor, um, Mike Madigan's dad, who also was named Mike Madigan, suggested you might want to go say hi to him while he's over at the athletic club that you go to, too. So uh, the young Madigan did that. They hit it off. Um, before you knew it, uh, 
young Mike Madigan was working in the law department, uh, at least uh, while he was going to school and uh, made it on up through the ranks there to speak to the mayor occasionally because uh, of that good location in the law department. And uh, they headed off. And of course, uh, what was also fascinating about Mike Madigan is that uh, after the 13th Ward Committeeman died, uh, young Mike Madigan, about age 27, stepped in, stepped up, knew how to count votes then, and won the Ward Committeeman post back in 1969. So even before he was a state rep or before he went to Springfield and became the legend, he started his his uh, career right there in the 13th Ward, where his dad had been a, a superintendent. Hmm. And what were the first signs that, that Madigan was going to be something very different than the garden variety movers and shakers we were used to seeing down in Springfield? Yeah, well, he, he moved immediately into the, a post that uh, wrote the Constitution uh, of Illinois. That was the what's known as the 1970 Constitution. He was chosen in 1969 to uh, be a member of that, elected to the, that, along with Richard M. Daley, the son of the original boss, and other people like Don Clark Natch, etc. And so uh, they were down there and were at the very beginning and able to uh, have a, a thumbprint on the way the overall rules are structured. And so he, of course, was part of the Chicago delegation. And as he uh, as he started down there and and uh, got to know the young Mayor Daley, too, they were able to advance and uh, young uh, Mike Madigan knew how to learn, or at least tried to learn quickly how to play the game. Hmm. And he, he did uh, rise through to leadership positions. And let's, let's take him up to, to becoming speaker, because at least in my experience, aside from California, uh, state house speakers don't always seem to be central figures. Uh, you know? Right. <laughs> and, what did what did Michael Madigan do to amass such power? Well, it was interesting because when he he was elected then to the to the state house in 1970, right after he left the Constitution, and then uh, uh, within about four or five years, he uh, had advanced with the authority of Richard J. Daley behind him and the grumbling of some others, uh, he advanced to majority leader uh, uh, under the, the speakership of a guy named Bill Redman. And you'll remember, Craig, he was a compromise choice. So when uh, Madigan moved into the majority leader spot, Richard J. Daly would be communicating with him as to how he should get the, the troops lined up and how he should uh, get them to vote. And they would talk strategy, et cetera. So he was learning really with the master of the, the modern machine uh, right there. And then uh, when uh, Redmond uh, was no longer the uh, speaker when George Ryan's Republicans won the House. Um, 
then Madigan moved up to the job of minority leader. And that's when they had some really interesting times. I mean, I was there at that time. I was just a rookie who was trying to find the bathroom then, you know, so green I couldn't be called a cover reporter even. But um, what happened was Madigan was really an intense uh, a person who would get up and, and yell and scream and, and argue for the minority rights and argue that the minority should not be trampled upon, et cetera, et cetera, which oddly enough later became the th thing that all the Republicans were yelling at him for years and years. <laughs> so um, then uh, he uh, got into this uh, setup here where they uh, deadlocked on redrawing the district lines in 19 or, or in 1981 and they went into a special commission they deadlocked and you know they have this quirky system where you take a name out of a hat to break a tie and the democratic name got drawn and mike madigan drew the map and then he ascended to speaker <laughs> the next mm. year so uh, that's when he started his his 36 year nationwide record reign. And and how much of his success was a matter of calculation versus circumstance? I mean, you just explained one of the circumstances with the luck of the draw, literally. Right, right. But uh, he seemed always to be a very calculating, thoughtful guy. Yeah, you just took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say calculating was probably the one thing that really, really matches him up. Uh, every step of the way, he would be reading the bills. He's one of these guys who studiously would look at each bill to see if there's somewhere he could tilt that bill, add a line here or there to help his party or help a member uh, in his caucus, because ultimately his main goal was to hold on to the speakership speakership. And so what he would do would be try to build a caucus that would support him and support him being reelected as speaker and to hold the house. That was his main thing. And of course, when he drew the lines that first time, he was able to hold the house. So uh, that's when he started to expand into the the kind of mythical figure that uh, we uh, we saw when he was at the height of his power. And you know, with some exceptions, uh, Madigan seemed to try to work with every governor in one form or another, or the governor tried to work with Madigan, depending upon where we were in that arc of his power. Right. Um, how did he manage to do that? Well, I think he learned that he couldn't always battle the governors um, and win. Um, there were times that he could and times that he he couldn't. Of course, we've we can always remember when he worked with with Jim Thompson and trying to save the White Sox on that dramatic night uh, back in the 88. That uh, really was a, a special moment for him and Thompson uh, when they were working the, the floor of the house, et cetera, to and eventually, you know, uh, delayed the clock and get the got the bill passed. <laughs> But, but um, he also, it, it, the, the kind of interesting thing about him is that he viewed himself as a Democrat, not, and he even said in an interview one time uh, that he viewed himself as a Democrat. He didn't put an adjective in front of that. He viewed himself as uh, 
somebody who was not a conservative Democrat, not a moderate Democrat, not a liberal Democrat, but a Democrat. And I believe that gave him the flexibility to kind of move from uh, wherever he was uh, positioned to, you know, maybe not follow the type of ideology you might think he would have. Because as you know, Craig, he moved from a guy who came out of the conservative Southwest side, uh, social conservatism uh, was in his background and his DNA. And then he ended up uh, being a guy who uh, supported ab abolishing the, the death penalty and he uh, supported expanding abortion rights and uh, supported uh, gay marriage. So it was a, a real change over time that he was able to adapt to with the change of the climate. And as part of that, was it an ability to listen to his members? Uh, I mean, did he was was some of that change a response to his caucus? Yes, uh, you're absolutely right, as you know from covering it. But what would happen would be he would listen to his caucus and see what was important to them and what was important to keeping them in the house and keeping them strong and keeping them uh, ready to vote for him for re-election too. So uh, part of that flexibility was his ability to see what was out there and uh, what he should get on the train to back and try to give a boost to somebody uh, when they needed a boost. Um, uh, the gay marriage uh, issue is a perfect example of that, where um, he had to bring several lawmakers along, especially some who were, uh, you know, upset because it was uh, in conflict with what they viewed as their religion. And so uh, he then seized upon the moment that uh, Pope Francis said, uh, who, am, who should I judge or who am I to judge? Uh, and Madigan even mentioned that in the floor debate, and that helped give not only support for some Catholics who wanted to, to vote for it, but needed the political cover, but it also gave him the amount of votes that he needed to get that done for uh, Greg Harris, who was the, the point guy on that, and it was very important for him as a lawmaker and for his constituency. And indeed, we should point out that uh, Greg Harris is, is openly gay, and, right. and it has been a, a, a majority leader or at least in the leadership for right. quite some time and with uh, Mike Madigan's blessing. Right, so, right. Um, I do want to talk about, a little bit about the Madigan personality, mm -hmm. uh, which I, I will admit was one of the more fascinating things I remember from my time down there. Because uh, in this universe of really big talkers and larger than life characters, Mike Madigan was just really, really different. Right, right. Uh, he is the type of guy who won't say something unless he absolutely has to, or he thinks that it will be helpful to his political uh, adventure, whatever that may be at the time. And um, he uh, sometimes would be very, very vague about his answers when he would take questions. A lot of times he'd be emerging from like a caucus or from a governor's office. He wouldn't hold a whole lot of press conferences. He did hold press conferences and take questions at times, 
but his answers were not always totally revealing. He'd only go so far. You couldn't ever really get into the deeper uh, regions or contours of what he was thinking. But um, if he wanted to be precise, he could be precise. If he didn't want to talk to you, he'd walk on by, even if you were shouting questions at him. And uh, sometimes he'd be mad at what you wrote and he'd just keep walking for that reason too, or he'd ignore your questions. But um, he uh, was not one of these guys like uh, Chuck Schumer, who you don't want to get between him and a camera because they you could get hurt because he's uh, <laughs> such a, uh, a you know publicity type of guy. But the, it's the same at the state level too. There are many many folks, and even Chris Welch, Madigan's uh, successor, has been a, a lot less camera shy than than Madigan, and I think he just wanted to be secretive. He wanted to keep all of his thoughts uh, together and not tell anybody what's going on if he didn't have to. The, the precision that I, I remember, I, I used to, I once described him to somebody as a person who, when you're interviewing him, you can pretty much see his, in his mind, him walking through the shelves of what words he might utter and pick yeah. each word individually. He yeah. spoke very deliberate. He speaks very deliberately. Right. And you hear him selecting the words. Right, right. In, in, in the book, uh, I noted that, you know, it's almost like his teachers at St. Adrian and St. Ignatius are still listening to his, the way he enunciates everything. Um, it is... Uh, a guy who just is mysterious and his expressions uh, is probably, you can read his face so many different ways. I mean, he's got a, he's a man of a thousand expressions and uh, you can, you can get more out of that sometimes than you can at his actual words. If he wants to be vague that day. Which is why some of the photographs uh, of him are, are so, so good, including the one on the cover of your book. You are listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Chicago Tribune journalist and author Ray Long. His book is titled The House That Madigan Built, The Record Run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer. Uh, I should note uh, that I covered the legislature for a few years in the 80s. And honestly, Ray was one of the key colleagues who uh, showed me the ropes down in Springfield. And I will be eternally grateful to <laughs> <laughs> I think I you must be misremembering. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's talk. We've we've talked about his rise. I, I think we need to talk about his fall as well. Right. Um, Mike Madigan, and I think I think we were everyone's in agreement on this. He was one of the most careful politicians in Illinois. Uh, we talked about him choosing his words. I also remember if I was trying to talk to one of his staff members or about politics, that person would say, I will call you back at lunch uh, and, oh, okay. and, and would not talk to me until they were technically off, even if they weren't really. Uh, so, Ray, what went wrong? Well, I think there were a few things that went wrong, uh, Craig. I think as he advanced uh, through the years, he became more comfortable with some of the people around him and started giving them more power and more power. Uh, Tim Mapes, for example, is the classic example. He was Madigan's chief of staff for years and years. And then uh, Madigan 
made him the executive director of the Illinois Democratic Party, too. And then he made him clerk of the House. On top of that, all three roles uh, key to making Madigan look good and be the powerful guy that he is. And Mapes kept the train running on time from the outside, it looked like. But internally, there was a lot of strife because uh, we saw in the reports that came out uh, when Madigan asked for an outside investigation of the culture of uh, the House and the General Assembly and the Capitol, we, we saw that people were uh, extremely critical of, of Mapes in, in that uh, they said if, if you hadn't been, uh, you know, dressed down by Mapes at some point or another, you were just waiting for your Tim moment, you know, for some uh, an, time in the barrel yourself. And so, of course, uh, what also happened uh, was that uh, he uh, allowed a culture to exist where uh, his aides uh, viewed uh, their job as being top down and some of them were too much of a bully. And uh, they also, uh, we found back in uh, 2018, uh, young uh, campaign aide uh, in her 20s, uh, Elena Hampton uh, spoke out, spoke uh, out a, about a uh, aide in Madigan's office up here in his headquarters in Chicago uh, who had uh, sexually harassed her. And so Madigan immediately uh, took care of that uh, or addressed it, but uh, it had festered to the point where um, a lot of people began to raise questions about whether he had done enough. And even the speaker himself responded by saying multiple times that I should have done more. I realized that I can't just tell people to knock it off if they're misbehaving. I uh, should have done more and it's my responsibility, et cetera. But the culture was such that even while Madigan was writing a letter to, or an op-ed to the Chicago Tribune in September of that year, one of his closest confidants, Mike McLean, was orchestrating uh, a situation where other lobbyists, other utility lobbyists, uh, Mike McLean was a ComEd lobbyist, and he had reached out to some uh, close people, close aides in the Madigan operation to send checks to Kevin Quinn, who had been the one accused of the sexual harassment, to try to help him out. So the optics of that, they tried to do that secretly. I, as you know, we got a hold of some of the emails that said, you know, you got to keep this quiet, et cetera, because uh, could be bad, uh, bad publicity if you if you don't or if it gets out. Well, that was happening. We wrote about it, and of course, that helped kind of weaken the speaker's overall uh, grip on his caucus. Now, then, when you saw what happened in the in the last few years was the ComEd scandal, and uh, that r really first hit its first peak when um, in July of 2020, uh, uh, John Lausch, the U.S. attorney, came out and had an agreed a deferred prosecution agreement with ComEd in which ComEd actually said and admitted that they had put a variety of Madigan's pals and cronies at, 
onto the payroll into kind of do nothing or do little work jobs. They also had loaded up uh, their internship, college internship program with 13th Ward uh, college kids. And um, they had also put on their board a state regulated uh, utilities board of directors, uh, one of Madigan's uh, choices. And he had pushed for that. Uh, emails have shown, as you know, that uh, there was quite an effort to try to push to get Juan Ochoa, who was the former McPeer director, onto the board of directors of ComEd. Again, this is a state regulated board. So we've got uh, a lot of influence there. And the idea was that ComEd would do this, they admitted, in hopes of influencing Madigan to uh, support their legislative agenda. Now, they've had a pretty successful run in Springfield. They were able to, back as far as 2011, get some major uh, pieces of legislation that were lucrative to them. And uh, also in 2016, they were able to pass a uh, consumer subsidies, in other words, you pay more as a customer to um, uh, help support their some of their nuclear power plants and uh, save some union jobs. They just, in fact, in this last legislative session, or just a few months ago, rather, they had approved uh, several, uh, several pieces in a package that were uh, uh, lucrative and favorable to the company. And of course, one of the, the other big points of that agreed prosecution uh, was that uh, ComEd agreed to pay a $200 million fine, which is supposed to be the biggest in this uh, district here in Northern Illinois. Uh, we should stipulate that uh, Michael Madigan has repeatedly denied doing anything wrong. He says the decisions he made in the General Assembly were made for the right reasons. Uh, with the uh, the few minutes that we have left, let's let's talk about this case a little bit. I mean, this this has a lot of evidence, a lot of uh, very high stakes. Madigan was indicted on March second. Uh, on 22 counts uh, with his pal, Mike McLean, the former lobbyist for ComEd, who has also denied wrongdoing. And the list of folks who have been indicted in also includes uh, Anne Promajori, who was this uh, widely respected uh, uh, top uh, person at ComEd and moved on to the, the parent company, Exelon. Uh, she's uh, been indicted. A, lobbyist John Hooker, lobbyist Jay Doherty, they've also been indicted and have also pleaded not guilty. And uh, this is a case of um, just great magnitude because Madigan was always the type of guy who uh, he said he played uh, in between the lines and didn't cross over the lines and his aides and all of his acolytes were always saying the same thing. They preached that he was this highly ethical guy and that he didn't have uh, conflicts of interest that got in the way of his decisions, etc. But in this case, uh, Craig, they, they truly suggest that he did cross the line and that he knew he was doing it. Um. You And the case apparently is still going on. Uh, we are recording this on Friday, and uh, 
you have a story in this day's Tribune saying that the feds are looking at transcripts from depositions that Madigan and his staff gave in a case from years ago. Can you just very quickly tell us what what's right. caught their eye? Right. Well, um, uh, Madigan only has given one deposition in his life, and it was for, for nearly five hours in this case. And the case was that in 2016, he had uh, been challenged by a uh, neophyte politician named Jason Gonzalez, who thought that he could take advantage of the Hispanic growth in Madigan's district. Madigan uh, it was accused by Gonzalez of putting up a couple of sham candidates with Hispanic surnames to try to dilute the Hispanic vote. And uh, Gonzalez took it to court. Uh, ultimately, Madigan won the case. It, it never went to trial, but he was forced to give a deposition. And in that, he went through a lot of the machinations of, of his uh, 13th Ward organization, a lot of the people who were related to, to uh, this um, uh, organization's effort in that 2016 campaign, including Tim Mapes, who also gave a deposition as the former chief of staff. Mapes, of course, was ousted by Madigan in a, in a separate sexual harassment uh, uh, set of allegations brought by a clerk. And now Mapes has been charged himself with lying to the grand jury in this ComEd case. And so he, of course, is also uh, pleaded not guilty. But um, this case that you mentioned uh, has uh, a lot of information that they were asked to give out. And I and it would appear to me that the feds, especially in the case where uh, Mapes is charged with perjury, may be looking to see if he slipped up somewhere along the line also. So we'll, we, will, we will stay tuned. And that's going to be all the time we have as I said, we could we could we could do this all day, uh, <laughs> really. Uh, but so I want to thank uh, Tribune investigative reporter and author Ray Long for spending the half hour with us. His book is titled "The House That Madigan Built: The Record Run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer." It's published by University of Illinois Press. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcasts on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening until then. I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 1059 WBBM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Oh, 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 Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.